This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, good morning. We are so excited to have Jerry Texera here with us this morning. Jerry first developed a love for biology and science as a nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare defense specialist in the Marine Corps. This love for science transferred into a desire to understand the mechanisms behind the positive effects of diet and exercise. He's a minimalist fitness and health specialist who teaches people how to build strength and improve body composition without having to step foot in a gym. We are going to dive into... Lots of topics. Uh, he has a background as a Marine and is a body weight aficionado. He has an incredible amount of content on YouTube. And so we're going to just dive right in. But Jerry, I'd love for you to kind of give us a background about how you got so passionate about body weight training and nutrition and all the things that are so important to you that we share in common. All right. So I, I think I got a good way to sum this up. Um, I was in the Marine Corps, like you mentioned, for four years. I didn't have to try to, I was young, number one, which is easier to stay, you know, lean when you're young. I think that youth covers a multitude of sins when it comes to diet and all that stuff. (laughs) And so even when I got out of the Marines, I was much less physically active immediately following um, at 21 till around 25 years old. I still worked out, but it wasn't like super structured. I wasn't a, a trainer. I didn't do a lot of research. I just went to probably like the average person, go to the gym three days a week or whatever. And um, ate a lot of fast food and, and it was fine. I, you know, didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to my health. Um, my wife ended up getting pregnant with our first child. And over that year that she was pregnant, I gained a ton of weight and I ended up sympathy weight. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what, by the time my daughter was a year old or so, I had gained like 40 something pounds and, uh, I was, at five, eight, I had a, almost a 48, a 40 inch waist. I'm sorry. And I had was 212 pounds. So I, I was pretty overweight. I mean, I was getting close to where I would be considered obese. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> this is before phones had the pictures on them, you know, where, where we always can see ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the beach and she showed me a picture with my shirt off and I, she was telling me I was getting fat, but I just didn't want, I wasn't absorbing that I was getting fat. And then she showed me a picture and sure enough, I realized, holy crap, I'm, I'm not getting, I mean, I'm fat and I'm going to get fatter if I don't do something. And so, uh, I, I made a change. And at that point I started getting more serious about the gym. I started eating what I thought was better. And at that time, this is 2007, eight, right around there. Um, about 2008 or nine actually, cause my daughter was over a year old. So basically I was reading the fitness um, literature of the day and it was like egg whites and oatmeal in the morning with nothing for breakfast. And then it was chicken, rice and broccoli, you know, the standard (laughs) um, fitness diet of the day. And the problem is it was all very lean, very low fat and very flavorless, Mm -hmm. but I stuck with it. I Tupperware everything. I ate six times a day and it was incredibly cumbersome because it became like a second job having to prepare all these meals, take six meal breaks a day, you know, Um, but I did lose weight down to about 195 pounds, which was still overweight for me, but much less overweight. So I, I got that initial 20 pounds, 20 something pounds off. And then everything just screeched to a halt, even though my exercise level was comparative to most people high. Um, and I was still eating those foods. There was no more progress. And Mm -hmm. so it was frustrating, but I was, I stayed the course 
And I was recommended a book um, called The Warrior Diet by a guy named Ori Hoffmeekler. And it was the first time I was exposed. This is 2009. I read this. It was, I was exposed to intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And when I read the book, it's not scientific at all. It was just intuitive and it made sense. And everybody, I'm reading the book and then I'm on these fitness boards and discussions and stuff. And everybody's talking about how you got to eat every three hours to stoke your metabolism. And you, you know, when I said, Hey, look, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this intermittent fasting. People are like, Oh, you're going to lose all your gains. Your muscles are going to disappear, you know? Yeah. And I just, I've always been a N equals one experimenter, you know, I like to experiment with things. So I decided, Hey, I'm going to try this. And so I went from about 195 pounds. I started intermittent fasting and I just did it like the book. I, I ate one meal a day. Mm-hmm. And so I did OMAD way, way before most people had even heard of it. Yeah. And I, I ate one meal a day and I, I wanted to put it to the test and I was tired of cooking all this chicken and rice and everything. So what I did is I worked close to a Chipotle. So I would get off work. And I would go to Chipotle and eat the biggest, most monstrous burrito with triple meat and all this stuff, you know, <laughs> chips, guacamole. I mean, I, I overate, but I did it in the one meal. And I, I, over six weeks, I got down to 172 pounds. So I lost all the rest of the weight fairly quickly. Um, and then from there, that kind of opened me up to, I started reading the literature on intermittent fasting, which led me to reading about um, increased you know, beta hydroxybutyrate and ketone levels and all this stuff. So I started getting more into ketogenic science. Then I switched to intermittent fasting while also ketogenic. Mm -hmm. Then I ended up experimenting with different windows. So eight hour window, 10 hour window, six hour window. And over the years, what, what was really interesting to me is I would go to the gym and work out, but I was never really, I mean, I wanted to gain muscle and strength and all of that. And I think if everybody's being honest, there's a little bit of vanity I mean, you want to look better, you know what I mean? Sure. We're, we're a society and the world has been forever that does prioritize your appearance and people yes. judge you on it, you know? So I don't think it's shallow to say, yes, I would like to look better. But I was also, as I started to lose weight and my blood work and everything got better as I went to doctor's appointments, I care about my health right now. At this point, I have kids, but also it's not just about being healthy, but you start reading these studies where, you know, mammals, various types of mammals and actually fruit flies and yeast but they're extending lifespan with dietary intervention. So then as I'm reading about fasting and ketosis and all these different things, it it doesn't just become about, okay, I want to be fit and healthy. I start looking at, Hey, I want to live as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And the longevity for whatever reason, even at like 30 years old at this time, the longevity science just totally attracted me and I was really, really interested in it. And so that's what's kept me um, to where I, I really enjoy reading the research is the potential longevity benefits to how, how you can eat, how you can exercise and the things that you can do, um, how they can benefit you from that standpoint. Now, obviously if you're healthier, if you're healthier and you're warding off disease, you can live longer, but even in calorie matched situations, how then further tinkering could potentially cause a longevity benefit. So that's, that's where most of my mind frame or where my, where my mindset is when I'm doing things for myself, how I'm eating, how I'm training. Um, And then on the exercise front, the reason I stopped going to the gym was when we had my daughter, the first year especially, it was really difficult for me to just tell my wife, hey, see you later, I'm going to the gym. Mm -hmm. Because it was like my thing. She didn't work out much at the time, um, but she also wasn't overweight. And so I I basically had to work out from home. And it was super inconsistent that first year after she, and which is how I gained a lot of the weight. So round two, when we had my son, which was five years ago, I knew I wasn't just going to be selfish and bail out, bail out to the gym on her for, you know, an hour and a half a day. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to work out at home. 
And so I'm going to, then I started looking into fitness equipment and I wanted to be very minimalist and going back to the Marine Corps, I was very fit doing just calisthenics. We never lifted weights unless it was recreational on your own time, but boot camp and all that, you don't lift weights. And so at least at that time. And so I thought, okay, I can do calisthenics as the foundation of what I'm going to do at home. And my first experience with calisthenics was for endurance, which was at boot camp. And I think that's when most people think about body weight, they're thinking P90X, they're thinking mm-hmm. push up, you know, hundreds of set of push ups and body weight squats. And so people equate body weight training with, or calisthenics with um, endurance, mm-hmm. not with real strength. They think real strength, you got to go to the gym and lift weights. And coincidentally, when my daughter was three, we put her in gymnastics. So fast forward this time, she's about 10 when my son was born and she's getting higher level. And I was exposed to male gymnasts that are higher level and female gymnasts, UCLA, we would go watch the UCLA girls. Um, they don't lift weights. It's all body weight, but it's body weight mm-hmm. strength. And so when you look at these male gymnasts, you look at these female gymnasts, they've built their foundation and they've built their strength and their muscular hypertrophy. This has come from calisthenics, but it comes from calisthenics being applied specifically to build strength, not endurance. And so not that they don't care about endurance, but they have specific, they, mm-hmm. they strength train utilizing body weight. And so round two, when I decided, okay, I'm going to work out from home, but I'm going to focus on, on calisthenics. I started reading into gymnastic style conditioning and looking at these street calisthenics people. I started looking at all these different people who practice body weight training. And then I took basically standard strength training um, protocols or standard bodybuilding style protocols. So basically what people would do in the gym to build muscle, I just traded out those exercises for either equivalent body weight exercises or what grouping of exercises can I use with body weight that would get me the same thing I'm getting if I was able to go to the gym and lift. So I kind of adopted a little methodology from gymnastic strength, a little bit from some street workout, you know, culture. Um, and I tried to take basically a risk reward, um, and traditional strength training principles and look at what are these street guys doing that from a standard training, like, what do they do that I could do safely? Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't, I don't do these like pull-ups where you're flying off the bar and clapping in the air because that kind of stuff might look kind of cool, but you risk injury. And most people don't are never like most people are never going to do that. And so my system is basically slow and controlled movements. It's based on like classical strength training principles. And we're just subbing in body weight as your, as your movement for that strength element. So that's how it differs from if you watch the New York city street guys um, and women that do it is the the best way I can explain it. If you do a box jump and people are familiar with a box jump, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with box jumps. It's a great exercise. Most injuries in the gym do not happen from slow controlled weightlifting. Most injuries in the gym happen from box jumps and CrossFit style pull-ups and things that are, that are ballistic where there's lots of movement that doesn't make them bad if you're doing them for a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. But for most normal people, like I've never had, I've never programmed a box jump for anybody ever. If they want to do them, I'm totally okay with that. But from a risk reward standpoint, I would rather you do proper squats or some type of variant of squats because it's not impossible, but I've never had an injury from somebody doing a squat ever. Right. And then you take people doing, for example, box jumps and I've had young, strong athletes get injured. Yeah. And so that that's kind of in a nutshell, it's classical strength training without the 
ballistic dynamic jumping around that you see in a lot of calisthenic stuff because that type of stuff increases your your risk and for a minimal reward so to speak so that so it's just so people understand that's where my content comes from and so i try to look at everything from a staying safe and effective standpoint um, but you're probably not going to get all the exotic crazy bouncing around stuff if that's what you're looking for yeah and there and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i think that sounds great i'm i'm at a point in my life i'm in my 40s and i think a lot of the cost benefit like i i no longer am passionate about skiing because the likelihood i'm going to blow out a knee at some point is not if but when so right. activities that i do i'm always thinking about okay, I want to do it safe. I want to do it so I don't injure myself, which is probably different than my mentality would have been in my 20s. But I loved that when you kind of were sharing your story, one of the things that you touched on, which is a common theme with our guests, is the fact that having a child really changed your life so profoundly that you had to figure things out a little differently for yourself. Oh, huge, um, huge. You know, how, you know, having a child really influences all that and obviously being an incredible um, example to your children now. So you mentioned, you touched on a couple of things. You mentioned, you know, ketogenic diet, you mentioned being low carb. Where do you hover at this point? And I'm sure you probably have some scientific <laughs> basis for why you're hovering in your particular nutritional paradigm, but I would love to hear how you kind of progressed. And obviously for anyone that's listening, when we're talking about ketogenic diets. It's typically less than 30 grams of net carbs a day. And so that's where that differentiator, people can hover in the 50 to 60 grams. They're not ketogenic. They are low, low carb, but they're not there. Yeah, so um, I tried it. I was basically in 2016, spring or so of 2016. I was at that point doing one meal a day, and it was keto below 50 grams of carbs. Which mm -hmm. the the amount of carbs that you can take in and still maintain a state of nutritional ketosis varies by the person. Mm -hmm. And so, like your to your point, when people say, "Hey, it's this amount," um, if you get a, a blood beta hydroxybutyrate meter, mm -hmm. you can tell. I've I was able to eat up to 100 grams of carbs a day if I'm exercising regularly, and I would stay in ketosis, not immediately after that meal, because I, again, one meal a day, but I would wake up back in ketosis. So by the time oh, I woke up, so lean. and so there's variation amongst people, mm -hmm. but I was already ketogenic at the time, and I have had GERD, um, silent reflux, actually, for since I was 21 is when it first started. Mm -hmm. I had a, an endoscopy, and I had an ulcer in my throat, and they put me on Prevacid and all this stuff. Um, and I, I struggled with that my entire, well, my entire adult life basically. And I found, I, I first, I thought it was like a specific trigger. Maybe it's dairy, maybe it's mm -hmm. gluten, maybe. It, so I was trying to figure out what was causing it. And I tried all these, you know, I would make the same meal over and over, but change one ingredient. And, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I figured out that for me, at least grains in general and any, like in, in any, um, appreciable quantity were an issue. Mm -hmm. And so I eliminated grains and I was doing for, for some time during, like I mentioned, various types of low carb over that decade, I would do a paleo where I can eat fruit and fruit does not impact it to the same degree, maybe because it doesn't swell from a, from a food volume standpoint mm -hmm. to the same extent. Mm -hmm. Um, it's largely water, you know, but I, so I was doing paleo even when I was eating carbs. So I've been no grain except I ha my daughter's 14 and periodically she loves sushi mm -hmm. and there's a spot that they have great food and you get like this three rolls and she would want me to go share it with her. And so I would just suck it up and have GERD, you know, <laughs> for my kid. Um, cause I feel like I'm a dad first and everything else second. So, right. you know, whatever. Uh, but, but for the most part, it was, it was paleo when I did eat carbs and the carb level would vary. 
but around 2016, I went, I, I measured everything out and went strictly ketogenic. So I was well below 50, around 30 a day. And my GERD improved drastically, but it was still there. Okay. So on a ketogenic diet, even though it's high fat, at least for me, my GERD was more well-managed than it was mm -hmm. eating more on the lower fat end of the spectrum, but paleo. And then <clears throat> I would kept seeing Sean Baker and carnivore people popping up. And my initial thoughts were these people are insane. That's what I thought. <laughs> because when you look at, you know, the epidemiology, which can be flawed, I mean, it's not perfect science at all, but healthy populations the world over tend to eat plant-based. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing with that is there are Northern populations that do not eat plant-based, mm -hmm. which are also healthy. And so, you know, we can, we can unpack that a little bit, but at the but at first glance, I was like, yeah, this is crazy. But I kept seeing reports of people that had various autoimmune conditions. And, it, and I also had not long, long term for about three years, I had a progressive psoriasis in, my, in between my fingers, it started to spread to my head. And so I started seeing people with similar skin issues, going carnivore and seeing relief. Mm -hmm. I was already keto at the time. And so I thought, okay, this seems crazy, but I, I'll try it for 30 days to see if it helps my symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so what I didn't expect, once I switched to carnivore, um, my GERD was essentially gone. Mm -hmm. And I say essentially gone because once in a while, 99% contained, once in a while I'd have a little issue, but I needed no medication, no antacids, nothing, which was counterintuitive because the diet is higher in fat. Mm -hmm. and, but, but yeah, no issues. And I think because it's very low food volume relative right. to the plant matter and relative to you know the, the grains and all that. So that's my hypothesis on, on the GERD issue with carnivore. But my skin cleared up within three and a half weeks. Wow. And I stuck with strict carnivore, no plant foods for about seven months because I had these health issues resolve. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, if I have to, I'll eat like this long-term. Um, there is a lack of variety and stuff like that. But I, if, if that's what I've got to do to manage this, then that's what I was committed to doing. And after seven months, I decided, okay, <clears throat> what plants do I really miss? Like, let's make a list of what do I really miss eating? And I decided, okay, I, I, I don't need to add anything to a steak. Like if you give me a steak, I don't need to do anything to it except salt mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of seasoning and I can eat it right. and I'm happy. Right? right. But it gets expensive. I'm feeding a family. It's not just me. I'm not mm -hmm. single eating ribeyes every meal, you know? <laughs> so I decided, okay, I, I can get a really good value on grass-fed um, ground beef, but grass-fed steaks astronomically expensive to feed a family of four. So I decided I'm going to have to eat more ground beef, but just ground beef mashed up in salt is not a recipe for me to like for, for, for the next 40 years. If I have to eat like this, <laughs> it's just not, you know what I mean? That's satiating. Yep. Right. I, I just don't enjoy it. I'm like, okay, it's, I can do it. But it, it reminded me of back in the day when I'm eating chicken and rice because it's the bodybuilding diet. You know what I mean? So it brought back that, I, I think that you should enjoy food as humans forever. I mean, what led us to cook meat and eat animals and everything in the first place is that's what we gravitated toward. We enjoy it. It's satiating. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I want to enjoy what I'm eating. So I, I, garlic and onions, I decided in ground beef, if I could just add garlic and onions, it would improve the experience a, 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 quite a bit. <laughs> So I did garlic first and I did that for like a week and I had no issues. Then I added onion. I, I cooked them. So they're, you know, I'm, I'm sauteing the garlic and onions because cooking vegetables can help alleviate some of the issues with yeah. compounds they have that are aggravating to some autoimmune conditions. Yeah. So I did those two and I was fine. 
And then I really like spicy food. So there's a condiment called chipotle peppers in adobo sauce. Yep, we have it. It's, it's so good. And so I, I, I got that. And you got to, some people care about a little bit of soybean oil. Some people don't. A lot of brands put soy, a little bit of soybean mm-hmm. oil in there. So if you're, if you're a stickler about that, make sure you find one that does not have soybean oil. They are out there, mm-hmm. but they're less common. So a ground beef bowl. So I'll, what I'll do for my kids often is we'll, we'll make ground beef and I'll make rice and beans and we do guacamole and they make their own chipotle style, you know, at home. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy for me to just throw at that point, I'm garlic, onions, a little stir in some chipotles and it flavors. And I, and then did, I love eating it. <laughs> so my skin complied. I didn't bother my GERD. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I didn't really miss any other plants. Um, and so a few months later, this would be maybe I'd carnivore for about nine months at this point. Uh, maybe 10 months. I started throwing cilantro in there when we'd make chipotle bowls. I had no problems with cilantro. I know some people hate it. God, I love um, cilantro. It's a wonderful, wonderful herb. Yeah. I, you can throw it in ground beef and it tastes yeah. like you're eating real Mexican food. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so for me, I did that. And so basically I started looking at plants as meat enhancers. And so if I'm going to make, you know, ground beef, I'm going to have shredded pork or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, garlic, onions. So mostly it's just spices or those types of bulbs and stuff that are used as spices at this point. And then I've since added avocado with no problems. So I'm still, I guess you could say like very heavy. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Not not quite carnivore, but maybe like uh, if you look at the Inuit or you look at the Northern Scandinavians and that type of stuff, they were very heavily animal-based. And then they, but they were still somewhere between 4% to 10% plant foods, depending on time of the year. So I'm, pro- so today I'm probably in that neighborhood where it's of, mostly. Yeah. I kind of call that carnivore-ish. That's kind of where yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have nicely settled um, after my hospitalization last year and was paleo for years and did fine with that and got out. And, you know, of course the, I had two physicians telling me just to eat, to eat ice cream and drink boost to gain back 15 pounds and then, <laughs> Thankfully, my gastroenterologist who is totally on board with me was like, if meat is what is working for you, keep doing it. And so I did that for months and months and months. It was the only thing that my body would tolerate um, when my digestion was so off. So I always say now I'm carnivore-ish. Like Sean yeah, wouldn't necessarily turn up his nose if he were to look at um, you know what my, my meats look like. But for me, it's like I have like five or six vegetables that my body tolerates right now. Asparagus is one. Yeah, my um, wife likes... Um- green green squash like zucchini mm-hmm. and my kids will eat doodles and stuff like that yeah. so when i make zucchinis i'll just throw some of those on my plate with again it's just garlic and onions and i'll just pan fry the garlic and onions with a little bit of zucchini slice some avocado on top so it's literally the same little group of vegetables that i will eat if i eat them um but I, and for me because I, I think the biggest thing and i'm sure you have listeners mm-hmm. we all think long term like okay I, I i think people are reasonable and they say hey i could do this diet for a month like in my case but now if I'm going to do this for long, long term, I'm concerned with what are the potential drawbacks from, from a long-term health perspective. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of comforted me was, I think that when you look at your overall metabolic health, um, I got dogs too, it's fine. But when you look at your overall metabolic health, uh, we've evolved eating plants and animals. I, I'm not of the, I know there's some people that are of the, the school of thought that like plants equals evil. 
And I don't think there's any data. There really isn't, honestly, to support that in humans. Um, the thing is, the mainstream view seems to be that all plants are always good for all humans all the time. And the more plants you eat, the better. But the, the data also doesn't suggest that. You know, there's, there's a curve. And even in recent studies where they've taken people who eat a little bit of vegetables and fruits mm -hmm. and they up their fruit and vegetable intake, then they go look at their DNA and different markers. The plasma vitamin C and these different levels of antioxidants will go up, but there's no difference to DNA damage. There's no, the things that they thought would make a difference from a longevity standpoint, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. so, so what I would kind of tell people is, you know, the benefits the mitohormesis or the hormesis benefits that you would get from eating plants, um, you get hormesis also from ketone bodies, from beta-hydroxybutyrate, and you get it from exercise. And so there are lots of ways to obtain these hormetic effects. And, and if you do eat some plant foods, um, I, I think humans have adapted over the millennia to be able to function well on a variety of whole foods. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at hunter gatherers, none of them are vegetarian. None of them have ever been vegan. So the natural way humans would eat, but they do range in only 30% of their foods, calories coming from animal foods on the lower end. And it's, you know, like half from carbohydrate, depending on, on the population you're looking at. Then you get to the Northern hunter gatherer type people, you know, the Inuit and that type of thing. And they're anywhere from 98 to like 92%, depending on seasonality and how far north you go. Mm -hmm. But all those groups prior to sugars and refined foods being introduced at some point in you know the 40s or the 50s or whatever, as long as those populations kept eating their native diet, they were relatively free of heart disease and all that stuff that's wrecking modern man. Yeah. So I kind of look at it like wherever you want to fall on that hunter-gatherer type spectrum is probably okay, right? It just, you know, you're going to all hopefully periodically get blood work and then I'm not, you listen to your doctor, medical disclaimer, all that good stuff. But that's kind of where I've settled is, yes, I, I don't eat a ton of vegetables, but I don't feel like eating even more vegetables would provide some magical health benefit that I'm not already getting, being that my my waist circumference is is good. I'm physically active. My blood work is good. Like when I go to my doctor and I'm like, Hey, even when I was carnivore, when I was trying this, I was like, here's what I want to do. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, it, it, and they don't know. My doctor was honest, at least he's like, I don't know that that's going to be healthy, but I also, he's like, I don't know that it's not going to be healthy. He's like, there's no study saying it's not, and there's no study saying it is. So as long as you have, you feel comfortable with it, we'll run blood work and see where, you know, where things stand. And so I've gone in and pretty much my doc's like, Hey, whatever it is you do. He's like, I wish all my patients had your blood work. Just do what it is you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, he's pretty cool about like that. And so that's what I would tell people, at least from my research is wherever you fall along that, you know, natural meats and vegetable spectrum. I don't think you're, I honestly don't think it matters a whole lot with the exception of a lot of plants today are not the same as they were, or there's plants that were only available faraway regions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That maybe you, your family and your, your lineage never ate and you're, and you're sensitive to. So that's why I think that the, the mainstream medical view that just eat more plants, all kinds of plants, they're all great is not, is not beneficial to anybody because there are clearly a, a not insignificant subset of the population that has problems from certain plants. And well, so, and you, yeah. And you think about some of these compounds like saponins and phytic acid. And I mean, these things that make 
plants, they're designed to be defense systems for the plants so that they're not as easily digestible. <laughs> My dogs are having a field day. Oh, it's all good. They're, they're designed to not be as easily digestible. And therefore, you know, that's always my thing is bioindividuality rules. You know, you, you certainly have run the gamut with trying different, um, trying different nutritional paradigms. But I think it all comes down to what can you sustain? What gives you energy? What allows you to sleep? What gets you the results that you're looking for? And then not stressing about it too much because I think there's a lot of dogma that's very rigid and that's where I think it gets problematic. Like I always say, do what works for you. Like sometimes, yeah. yeah. And I see you doing the same thing. I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to, conver- I'm just saying like, this is what works for me. And this is what's, this is my end of a couple hundred and this is what works for us. But if there's a different system or a different way of doing things that works for you and it's healthy, that's totally okay. I just want less people eating processed foods. Like that makes me right. when people aren't, you know, they're not buying like all these cakes and cookies and, you know, the latest protein powder and whatever other nonsense is getting peddled by some of the uh, processed food industry. I don't know about you, but I like to enjoy a nice wine glass after a long day. But the problem is that so many of the wines have harmful chemicals like pesticides or they have way too much sugar, which would damage your health in the long run. After doing some researching, I discovered Dry Farm Wine, the only health-focused natural wine club in the world. Their wine is all natural and additive-free, lab-tested for purity, sugar-free, and low alcohol, so you can enjoy the taste of good wines without the massive chemical or sugar intake. By joining the Dry Farm Wine Club, you can choose how often you'd like to receive the wines. You can choose monthly or every other month and how many you'd like to receive. And as a special gift, if you sign up with our link, you can get a bonus bottle of pure natural wine with your first order for just one extra penny. Visit the link in the description to claim your bonus bottle of natural wine and join the Dry Farm Wine Club. Right, and I think, you know, kind of like exercise, research is pretty clear that physical activity is good mm-hmm. and more is better, mm-hmm. but physical activity. And for example, you know, high level marathon running, there's a difference with, with the more is better. There's a difference mm-hmm. even on, you know, there, there's a, a shape to the curve such that when you are not doing any physical activity, then adding physical activity makes a big impact from a metabolic health standpoint and independent of weight loss. And, and, but then as you keep adding more physical activity, the benefit from the physical activity is diminished. The law of diminishing returns applies. Mm -hmm. And so people constantly think I spend way more time exercising than I do. I'm 40 minutes a day, unless you want to count like I'm stretching, watching Netflix with my kids or something, maybe it's higher, but Mm -hmm. actual physical activity, like where my heart rate's elevated less than 40 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I mention this is at very high levels, it may even be counterintuitive to health in some ways. And so I think that, eating plants is similar, at least from the research I've seen, it's similar where, yes, there seems to be a health benefit or, or a hormetic response. Like you mentioned, some of these toxins in a small amount, like we evolved eating a reasonable amount, mm-hmm. um, may actually be good for you. But past that amount, it starts to not be good for you, you start to develop autoimmune conditions. And so mm-hmm. that's why I, I've always, since the beginning of starting to grow on social media, which was a total accident, I've always been very nuanced Mm -hmm. and I I'm totally fine. Like for the hardcore carnivores who want to eat all raw meat and whatever else, I I don't care. That's you eat whatever you want. I don't care. I've never cared, you know? And so people get like super tribal and they're like Mm -hmm. trying to tell everybody what to eat. I I don't care what anybody eats. I just share my N equals one and my thoughts on stuff and you do what you want to do. You know what I mean? Like it, why would I outside of just kind of like what you're saying outside of 
I really would like for people to be metabolically healthy mm-hmm. in whatever way. I mean, I follow some vegetarians, they follow me. I, like we're at the end of the day, I, I want to have to be able to ex- execute my constitutional rights to eat what I think is going to benefit me from a health standpoint. And for me, I'm going to eat animal foods. And if you don't want to eat animal foods, that's totally fine. We can be friends. I don't care. I don't care what you eat. Right. As long as you don't care what I eat, it's the people right. that turn it into a religion and they want to take away, you right. know, your rights. Yeah. 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 So we don't have to get, but that's, that's kind of where I stand on it. And I, and so for people that are listening, I do think if you want to eat plants, it can be beneficial, but definitely there's a curve to it. And I think what caused my autoimmune conditions when I was keto is I, I was eating a lot. It was heavily plant-based. Okay. I was eating meat. I was eating meat and everything for sure, but I was eating huge kale salads, spinach salads, like the size of kale. That's what we call giant, it, killer kale. <laughs> giant bowls. So tons of oxalates. And mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I was just thinking, well, the more plants, the better, right? From, from a general health standpoint, when I really started looking at, okay, forget epidemiology, what controlled research do we have? All the controlled research on just piling more plant foods it was like, okay, there seems to be a benefit when there's some plants, mm-hmm. but, but once you keep adding, that's, that's not the case the anymore. Point. Yeah. yeah. So I, for anybody that needed to hear that, that's where I stand on the issue. That's all I'm going to say about it. But I think it's really critical because you, you've, you know, used your, your own body as kind of a science experiment. And it goes back to just because someone else said that kale or spinach, I'm just going to pick on them for the moment, that they're hugely beneficial. My healthcare provider calls it killer kale because of the oxalate issue. And then right. as people become more, you know, underst- if they understand the science between what oxalates can do non-beneficially to our bodies, it starts to make sense. Like for me, I'm on an oxalate-free diet or a low oxalate diet for right. the reason that it, it really aggravates my gut. But I'd love to pivot Largely what I think you're known for, obviously, I know you well to know that you are very heavily researched and, you know, definitely outspoken about, you know, your own experiences um, in the nutritional realm. But what you're really known for is the strength training component. And so given our current circumstances, those of us that are used to lifting heavy in the gym all of a sudden can't be in the gym. We're trying to make makeshift homes at home, uh, makeshift gyms at home so that we can continue exercising you know, I'd love for you to kind of talk about what are the ways you work or what are the ways that you walk clients through the process of creating a home gym so that they can continue getting the gains or continue, you know, working on their muscle or continue being active. What are the ways that you, you start working with your own clients? Okay. So the reason that, uh, I focus on, on strength is because majority of people, uh, either don't, understand why they should focus on building strength or if they do understand why they don't understand just the, the very simple principles to follow to make sure that you continue to do so in the long term. And so one of the most important reasons for physical activity is for the general health benefit, right? Like we mentioned, like I mentioned before, yes, you're going to look better. All that stuff happens, but it's in extremely beneficial from a longevity and health standpoint and all physical activity will help improve your health. So if you, if you love to go jog, I, when the weather's nice, I'll run like outdoors two days a week. I love going just out into nature and going on n- nothing crazy. I'll take my dogs and we go like two, two and a half miles. So I'm not, you know, I'm not marathon running, nothing like that. Um, but from a mental health standpoint, there's a lot of research that shows that greening and time spent in nature benefits you. Mm-hmm. And so especially while we're all on lockdown, 
don't just sit inside your house because you will go crazy. Like you will get depressed, (laughs) get outside, go for a little jog. And I'm talking nine and a half minute, 10 minute miles. Like this is very slow, leisurely paced. That lower to low moderate intensity cardio is hugely beneficial for your mitochondria. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really healthy. So I, I'm not where all I do is strength train and I don't recommend people only strength train, but that's where I think my expertise can help benefit people the most. I don't need to teach people how to go jog. Right. Um, and, yeah. and so, <laughs> but the re- so the reason I mentioned that though, is when you look at blue zones and they look at, uh, there was a Hawaiian men longevity study and these different studies, they look, they, they take people when they're seniors and follow them through to find out how many make it to be centenarians. And of course, having the right genetics is huge for that, right? You just get lucky. Some of them mm-hmm. smoke and drink and everything else and they make it to a hundred. Um, but what people always focus on when they look at these longevity and these blue zones and all that, which there's argue, arguability about the accuracy of the dead in the first place, but people always look at diet and it's like, oh, they eat this and they eat that. And, and that, that's true. I mean, you know, you can look at the commonalities in diet, which they're essentially all whole food. That's mm-hmm. the commonality to be honest with you. Um, but they have strong social support structures. They spend a lot of time with family. The grandparents generally live at home. It, it's very tight knit. Mm-hmm. So they, grandparents still feel useful. They help raise the grandkids. You know, you look at other trends. Mm-hmm. And so we always focus on diet, which within the blue zones, once you say, hey, they eat whole food, they eat whole food and they don't overeat as a rule. Outside of that, I don't think it matters what the hell they're eating. If they're eating more meat, more vegetables, it's whole food. Right. But, but you've got to look at, the lower incidence of depression, they spend time outside, they get sunlight. It's the lifestyle overall that leads, you know, it's the social structures, all these things. Mm-hmm. But one of the things nobody ever talks about is their grip strength and their, their actual strength. The ones that are the strongest live the longest. Mm-hmm. And it's I, the average correlate. It's about two thirds of the people. So yeah, some of them are, are weak as they get to, to be centenarians, but the strongest correlate out of all these studies is strength. And so I try to make people realize that building strength is probably the single biggest one thing because we can say, hey, diet's more important than exercise. But within diet, are we talking ketogenic? Are we talking, there's so many types of diet and everyone will argue over which one's the best. Mm -hmm. But no matter which way you eat, even if you're vegetarian, you should be strength training because strength is a very strong correlate to longevity in humans. And so that's the primary reason why I focus on teaching people how to strength train at home with zero to very minimal equipment is because I think it's so important from a general health standpoint that everybody, whether they're still fat, whether they're not fat, whether they're a marathon runner, even if you're an endurance athlete, you should also strength train. And so that's kind of where my, where my lens is or where, what the reason why I'm passionate about strength training. So it's not about being a bodybuilder or being this jacked bro or whatever, you know, motivation that a lot of guys maybe have or being a fitness Instagram. I don't know. Everybody has different motivation. Mm-hmm. But for me, the purpose for developing strength is specifically because as you age, being strong for various reasons is strongly correlated to human longevity. And um, so if you enjoy strength training, then to an extent, more is better, you know, you three, four, five days a week, whatever, you know, have at it if you love it. If you're one of these people who, and it seems like there's two camps. If you tend to prefer the endurance work more, if you like to go run the dogs, you like to cycle or whatever the case is, that's great. And it's really good for you. Just add one to two days a week of a full body strength training session. And that will supplement your endurance work really well. 
And so that's kind of where I approach people is a minimum of once a week strength training will pay dividends from a longevity standpoint. It doesn't have to be a huge commitment at all. And if you can get twice a week in, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for not the minimum, but giving you a good return for your investment. And then past that, if you like it and you want to build muscle and you, you want hypertrophy and all that stuff, then yeah, you, you can definitely do more. Um, so that's, that's where my mindset is when I'm programming and, and what I'm trying to teach people. And then the reason why I focus on body weight is because to be honest with you, there's a lot of people out there that are teaching weighted resistance training and doing a good job. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like it's, yes, I understand how to program weight training, but that's not. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mycosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armorous colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. 
product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. The knowledge base that I have that other people don't have. Right. And so I just try to narrow in on what can I help people with that not everyone else or not a large number of people can help them with. And what I think has been really cool is, and I have to explain to people because I'm pretty fit. If you look at me, I'm a pretty fit guy. Um, but I design all of my content to start with. I, I always keep in mind, okay, if I have a client who's a 50-year-old woman who's never exercised before, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so anytime I program a training session, which what I do is I put them all on YouTube free. You don't, I'm, I'm not selling programs. You can just go do them for free. But what you'll find is I might have a program where I'm performing a pull-up. And if you're a 50-year-old woman who's never exercised, you're certainly not going to do a pull-up. Right. But on my YouTube channel, I have playlists. And so if you're not familiar with how that works, you go to the home, on any, on any creator's YouTube page that you find, you can click playlists. And any playlist they've put together, which is just a series of videos on a specific topic, it helps them organize their channel. Mm-hmm. So if you go to my YouTube channel and you click on playlists, what you will find is you'll find a playlist for complete workout sessions. And so you could click my 20 minute full body session. And when you look at it, you might say, okay, I can't do half of these movements. There's eight exercises. And you might say, okay, I can't do half of these. But in the video notes, I have links to the playlist for every single one of those exercises. And every exercise has a playlist that starts you at absolute beginner. Mm -hmm. So if I ever perform something and you look and say, yeah, I can't do that. That doesn't mean you can't do this protocol. It just means you substitute out that movement with the easier progression for that movement. And so on my channel, you just click playlists, for example, pushups. If you say, you know what, I, I'm very out of shape. I can't even do a pushup. A pushup is easy for people with a base level of conditioning, but from, for someone who's never exercised, it requires pressing strength, but it also requires core strength, Mm -hmm. hip flexors, your glutes. You've got to hold a plank, which for some people is difficult if they're not experienced at exercise. So if you click playlist for pushups, I start you with how to properly perform pushups against a wall. So even if you're 300 pounds and severely overweight, you can do pushups against the wall because now you're not working against gravity. Right. And then it shows you how to scale from there to hands elevated pushups to full pushups. And if you're listening to this and you are like in your case, Cynthia, if, if you're from, if you're experienced trainee and you go to the gym and you're deadlifting and squatting and all this stuff, one of the biggest challenges right now is not for beginners because beginners can just do standard body weight stuff and, and do well. People are saying, okay, well, I can do 50 bodyweight squats. It takes me 10 minutes to do a set, you know, and the intensity is too low. So what do I do? So that, then you could click on my bodyweight squats playlist and it will teach you step-by-step step how to get to single leg squats. I've got a glute playlist that'll teach you how to train your glutes well in the absence of deadlifts. And if you're very strong at pressing, like some guys have a, have a, a strong bench press, I walk you through how to get to one-arm pushups, which are super intense. So the playlist will scale you from absolute beginner who's never exercised all the way to 
advanced strength training. And so that's the beauty of the progressions in the system is it's, it's not just when you, when you look at a lot of calisthenics, it's just random stuff to make you super tired. And so you get a good cardiovascular training session and you feel like insanity, for example, not, not picking on it. Cause it's, it's going to burn a lot of calories. It's going to be metabolically right. taxing, but if you're out of shape and you do insanity, if you're out of shape and you do P90X, you will increase your caloric burn mm-hmm. and you will build some base level of strength. But once you've built the base level of strength, that's it. You're done. You're not going to get stronger and you're not going to build more muscle because you're not what's called, you're not applying what's called progressive overload. And so all of my content is designed and I talk about it. There's deep explanations. It's all designed on applying progressive overload to body weight training. And that's what's the easiest way I can describe progressive overload in a nutshell is if you go to the gym and you bench press hundred pounds and you do that and you're targeting, let's say eight to 12 reps, whatever, if you got a trainer, somebody told whatever your, your target is, you go, okay, I'm doing eight to 12 reps. Well, a couple months pass and you say, man, I'm doing 15 reps already. I better throw five pounds on the bar. That's progressively overloading. Mm-hmm. You are systematically adding intensity to your exercises over time to make them harder, which stimul- stimulates an adaptation by the body. And the problem with body weight training is when you're do- jumping around your living room doing like a P90X style training session, which is nothing wrong with it at all, mm-hmm. you can't add intensity or weight very easily. It's, it's limited. So that's, that's why I go back to what I try to do was take an actual gym workout and then say, okay, if I didn't have a gym, how would I get my gym workout in with just my body? And that's where the progressions come into place. We can't add five pounds to the bar, but we can make the push-up harder by shifting the body a little bit, we can make the squat harder by starting to work on one leg variants. And so that's what the way that you would look at it. If you get, if you go to my channel is when an exercise starts to become too easy, meaning that you can do lots of reps, you say, okay, I'm ready to try the next progression. And then instead of adding weight to the bar, you move on to the next little bit harder and a little bit harder. And then that's kind of how it works. I think that's an incredible explanation. And and I almost feel like you're educating me in the process as someone that likes lifting heavy weights. It's been a little bit of an awakening being at home and doing bodyweight exercises. Ironically, last week I did my first pistol squat. And so that's a one-legged, who is that hard? Um, So for someone that squats Mm -hmm. with weight to go to being working out from home and just doing a pistol squat, I was shocked at how difficult it was. So it was good. I mean, that was a good right. thing for me. I was like, this is fantastic. And like you mentioned, it's like putting more weight on the bar, except being at home, you're going to do a different variation to stress that muscle, to right. you know, force your body to kind of build what you're, you're already existing with. Now, if someone were going to your website or excuse me, going to YouTube where you have all your content, which is an incredible and please check it out. It's like an incredible resource, even for me being someone that is fairly knowledgeable about these things already. What are key pieces of equipment? If people were looking to build a home gym that you would recommend to them, I can actually see them probably in your background of your backyard as I'm yeah, talking yeah. To you right now, but would be key things that you think are really critical to have as part of your home gym. So if you've got, about four feet in width and two feet in depth, just a standard squat rack where the top doubles as a pull-up bar, mm-hmm. um, which most of them do. It's, that's very common. And you can get them anywhere from around $120 is pretty average. That, that would be the one thing that I would recommend. You can hang from it, which the thing, thing to keep in mind, and a lot of people, even when they go to the gym, they tend to, everything they do, is then barbell or dumbbell. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so I try to tell people you should add in a limited amount of body weight training, even if you prefer weighted dumbbells and barbells. And so that's the reason why something to hang from because we're, structurally we're great apes. And so even if you can't do pull-ups, just hanging from a bar. Mm-hmm. So if you so you want to work your core, right? Lots of women, especially you want to work your abs, crunches and all that stuff. There's a, there's a place for different types of movements, but if you hang from a bar, you're going to strengthen your grip, strengthen the forearms, strengthen the shoulders, and you can do leg raises or bringing your knees up as a very entry level movement, but doing it in a hang versus doing it on the floor is vastly superior from the overall benefits you're going to get. So even because a lot of times women will tell me, well, I can't do pull-ups. Do I still need a pull-up bar? And I'm like, yes, you do. Cause you want to hang. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and because from developing your core, if you look at, again, I'll go back to gymnasts. If you look at gymnasts, their cores are just insanely powerful mm-hmm. and, and pound for pound, they're the most powerful athletes in the world. And the female gymnasts, yes, yeah, some of them are fairly muscly, but th- these women don't look like bodybuilders. You're right. not going to get manly from this, right. you know? So I, I definitely think like you see behind me, uh, a standard squat rack with a pull-up bar on top and then a set of gymnastics rings. And the reason I like the rings, they're only $30. So they're a very minimal investment and they're extremely useful for building upper body pressing strength. But for most women, until you start to get much more advanced, you are not going to need them for that. But what they do allow you to do in minimal space is rows. Mm -hmm. And rowing is really important in any fitness routine regardless, because if you think about it, when we pick things up, we're pulling. So when people start doing body weight training, and I see it all the time on Twitter and and on Instagram and stuff, it's like, oh, I'm going to do 100 pushups every day. And I'm going to do 100 squats every day. Those are fine. But when you do pushups every day and you do no pulling, you're developing, you know, you can develop abnormalities structurally. Mm -hmm. So you you get basically where you are front or anterior dominant, your your posterior is not strong enough. Mm -hmm. And you can start having low back pain, shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. So it's important to remember, okay, if I do pushing, so I'm doing pushups or I'm going to do a bench press, I need to also do pulling. Yeah, And so if you have gymnastics rings, you can do body weight rows, even if you're not super strong, because you can adjust the height of the rings to make the rows really easy mm-hmm. to where you're not working against so much gravity, or you can lower the rings very low, make them a lot harder. And how to scale things like that, I go over extensively on, on the YouTube. But, but basically, if you just have a pull-up bar and rings, you can get a very good quality training session, and that's like 150 bucks. And then if you're really limited on space, um, kettlebells can be great. So if you, if you know, okay, I'm not going to buy a barbell and weights and all that, then I do think kettlebells have a huge advantage in that you can get a lot done with a very, very small amount of equipment. Um, so kettlebells are great. The other thing that keeping space saving in mind, you can get a weighted vest and you can get about a 40 pound weighted vest which will make, even if you're like in your case, even if you're a fairly strong woman, pushups at a 40 pound weighted vest will wear you out fast. Um, but e- even squats and cause you, okay. So you did a pistol, right? You, mm-hmm. you can do assisted pistols because for most people you got, it takes time. you got to build single leg stability, your knees and all that stuff. You know, you, you don't want to go, I've never tried a pistol. Let me, you'll, you'll just fall over, mm-hmm. right? You can't do it, but you can wear a weighted vest and all of a sudden, pistols have gotten much harder. Oh, yeah. And so if we're talking about wanting to have minimalist equipment at home, rings, a bar, and a weighted vest will, will work for you 
definitely until you can get back to a gym or as you things happen in life where maybe you just get busy for a season and the gym becomes hard to get there and you're only able to go once or twice a week, you don't have a lot of space committed to like a full home gym. Right. Um, the nice thing with a squat rack and the reason, because you can actually get a, a pull way, I mean, I'm sorry, a doorway pull-up bar where you slide it up onto a doorway. My 12-year-old has one. Okay, they, they work. I've done them as yeah. a 200 pound. When I was 200 pounds, I was using one. That's how I got started in this. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and you think, man, my door won't hold that, it, w- it will hold it. Um, the only thing I will say, and this goes with any, if you, if you start investing in a home gym, when you go to a commercial gym, they have a maintenance staff mm-hmm. that goes around weekly or however off and they tighten all the bolts on all the equipment so people don't hurt themselves. But when people start putting together a home gym, they never tighten anything. That's so, a point. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, we just don't think about it. So what I, what I always tell people is if you get a doorway pull-up bar over time, those little bolts can come loose and that thing can actually come off and you could get hurt. So just make sure that if you invest in home equipment to include a doorway pull-up bar, they are safe and they will not break on you. They're engineered to not break on you, provided you keep them tightened and you're, you're following up on that. So basic, so see, I definitely take care of the equipment, but even a doorway pull-up bar, you can hang rings from it. You can do your rows. I have tons of followers who just, that's what they have in their house. It's just a doorway pull-up bar and rings. So that would be kind of like doorway pull-up bars, about 30 to 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. Rings are $30. So for about $70 until this quarantine ends, you could be, you could have a nice setup. If you want to rack, like I have in the yard, 120 plus rings. And the nice thing about the rack is like in your case, if you like to lift and you happen, if you go on Facebook market right now, maybe not because of the quarantine, (laughs) But I will say when this quarantine's over, lots of people are probably going to sell what they bought mm-hmm. for half price or less. Yeah. So if you do want to have some weights, a squat rack will hold. You can do squats. You can do deadlifts. You can bench press if you buy a bench. J- just having that squat rack and a barbell will get you through being able to do really efficient training sessions. Um, one of the things when you walk in a gym, there's nothing wrong with all the fancy equipment. Uh, there's a place for machines. Mm-hmm. but you could never touch a machine and you could have only a barbell and you can do everything you need to have an incredibly strong, well-developed physique. So if you're building, don't, don't fall into the trap that like, I got to have all this stuff or I can't get a good training session. Even if you want to build a home gym, just a barbell and some plates and a squat rack will be the, the, that you could get 80% of what you need out of just that. So that's what I would recommend kind of like those tiers. No, and that's so helpful. And and certainly for me, I've just been enjoying listening to, you know, the wealth of information that you've shared. We'll definitely have to have you back. How can we find you? So it's just my name, which is probably the worst idea ever because it's complicated. <laughs> but like on, on Twitter, it's just Jerry Texera and it's T-E-I-X-E-I-R-A. And then just Jerry with a J, this, you know, traditional spelling. And it's um, my Twitter, my YouTube, it's all the same. And I'm, mo- I'm most active on Twitter just because I follow a lot of researchers and people who I want to learn from. And mm-hmm. they tend to be, academics tend to be most active on Twitter. And so I'm active on there for that reason. And also I find that on, on Twitter, people tend to um, share things and it's a little easier to engage in that way. I'm also on Instagram and I've started building that some. Um, what, I've, what I like Instagram for is you can post video clips mm-hmm. and they're easy... Twitter, you can't organize anything. It's yeah. great for conversation, like, but, but you can't search and find things easily. Mm-hmm. So what I've started doing and I've got to get better at it is posting mini 
like digestible, useful things on Instagram and like stuff you can try. And then on the YouTube is more detailed content. And on Twitter is more like conversational. If you want to interact and ask questions and stuff like that, I'm most active on there, but that, that would be the three. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's still uh, a little bit early on the West Coast, but I appreciate you carving time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hopefully everybody can come out of this quarantine healthier than they went into it. That's my hope. Goodness. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.